uh, last week we talked about uh, the, the kind of relationships we want to build at Jubilee Church, that we, uh, we're not just looking to build our membership, but looking to build friendship. We're not looking uh, just to grow wider, but actually grow deeper. And the reason that is we don't want, we're not just like interested in like going around the campfire, seeing Kumbaya, and that's kind of our deal. But as you read about Jesus and how he's decided to relate to us, uh, we looked at last week that he says that I call you friends. I don't call you servants. I don't call you subjects. Uh, I, call you, I call you friends. So the, the, the word he used to describe the kind of relationship he wants to have with us is friendship. And then he said this. He said, he said uh, one of the things that's going to mark you as mind is the depth of your friendship, the love that you have for each other. And so in pursuing friendship, we're pursuing first this relationship that we have with Jesus vertically that plays itself out horizontally in the life of others. And today I want to talk about extending that friendship. And to start off, I want to talk, start with the fill-in-the-blank um, verse. Now, if you know the answer, please don't blurt it out. You'll ruin my experiment. Uh, but I want us just to kind of imagine what could possibly go in there, because this is a pretty profound statement, because this is the clearest place in the Bible where Jesus says that if you follow me, this will absolutely happen. And so a lot of things could be in that blank. He says, follow me and I will make you a nicer person. Follow me and I will make you holier. Follow me and I will make you a better parent. Follow me and I will make you better at your job. Follow me and whatever. But this is what he says. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That one of the things that will happen to you, that, if, that when you become a Christian, the first thing that he, one of the big things that he does, this is, this is the trajectory of your life, that you will be a fisher of men. That when you first know God, you be, your life becomes about helping other people know God. So much so that he rewired you. He rewired how you uh, feel, think, act, and desire. Um, if you uh, think about this, that when you become a Christian, um, the Holy Spirit of God uh, comes to live inside of you. Um, and the Holy Spirit of God, one of the things about the Holy Spirit of God is that he grieves over those who don't know Jesus. His big thing, the Holy Spirit's big thing is pointing people to Jesus. Hey, this is who Jesus is. He's always, he's always opening a door to Jesus, always saying this is Jesus, making much of Jesus. So he grieves over people not knowing Jesus, and he burns with passion for people to know Jesus. So here's a little theological math. If the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, that means that as a Christian, that more and more, as you become more and more full of him, that you'll have a greater desire, uh, you'll burn with passion for people to know him, and you'll grieve over people who don't know him. In fact, when my experience in talking lots and lots of Christians, um, the reason why people don't typically share their faith, and I read one study by a denomination that found out that only 20% of Christians share their faith. Only 2% do it on a regular basis. And there's a reason why that is and the reason why that isn't. The reason why it isn't isn't because we don't want to. In fact, if I was to go around the room, anybody here who's a Christian... I mean, they would talk with passion. You probably would talk with passion over a parent, a son, a daughter, a friend, someone that you really want to know Jesus. And, and I know that we, we want to. My experience isn't that we don't want to. It's just that we don't know how to. Or the examples that we get are just aren't good. It, it, so, you know, you're going down the stadium and you'll see someone yelling and telling, you know, telling them how bad of a person they are. <laughs> James was like, oh, interesting. Tell me more about that. And, uh, or I was in, when I was a, a, a server, 
um, I remember this one time I was, I was waiting on this person, this, and, and I was this family, and I was like, man, we're like really, there's like a lot of back and forth, and, and they were being really chummy. I'm like, man, I'm going to get a really big tip. And what, you know, like when they left their tip, they left a million-dollar bill. And I look at it, and, and on the back of it, it says, it wasn't real, which was disappointing. But on the back of it, it said, here's the million-dollar question. Where will you go when you die? I'm like, is somebody going to kill me? Like, what's happening here? And, and then he's like, have you ever lied? Have you ever? And he's going through this track. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I wanted money. I didn't want a, a track. And so there's like sometimes you have these experiences where like, you know, just people track bomb you. And it's like, well, is this what evangelism is? Is evangelism like, is that, is that what I have to do? And uh, I'm not saying that all tracks are bad. I mean, in fact, you may, you may have gotten that track, and that may be the reason why you're a Christian. And I praise God for that. But you see these examples out there of what evangelism looks like, and you're like, I don't want to be like that. Or maybe it feels like something too distant. It's like you, you, you hear people talk, and they've got these airtight arguments, and they have every answer for everything. It's just like, well, I don't have an answer for everything. The good news is you don't have to be like that. In fact, Genesis 12 is going to help us out a lot. Check out what Genesis 12. This is where faith originates. This is, fa- this is talking to Abraham, Father Abraham. Remember him? He had many sons. Many sons had. There we go. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And so God blessed Abraham. If you don't know about the life of Abraham, he blessed him financially. He blessed him relationally. Uh, he blessed him spiritually. And the reason why is so that he would be a blessing to the entire world. God's plan for redemption would be fulfilled, check this out, in a blessing strategy. When Jesus came to earth, he was blessed by God. But he didn't hold on to that blessing, but he gave it away. In fact, Luke tried to characterize the life of Jesus, and this is how he summed it up. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good. Now, that Greek word there, good, really means it means philanthropy or, or blessing, that he went about doing good. And this, this way of blessing people, we can do the same thing. Jesus, under the power or the anointing, of the Holy Spirit went about doing good. That word, uh, the word Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ means the anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. Uh, Christian, which if you're a Christian here, that means that you follow Jesus, but that word means little Christ. In other words, that we are little anointed ones. He is the anointed one. We are little anointed ones under the power of the Spirit meant to go about blessing people, going about doing good. We can bless because we have been blessed. Let me tell you how we've been blessed. Ephesians 1.3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. I don't know if you feel blessed today, but Christian, I just want to tell you, you are absolutely blessed. There is no greater value than God himself, and blessing finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. So when God wants to bless someone, ultimately he doesn't give them a car, he doesn't give them a house, he doesn't give them a pile of cash or, you know, a a raise at his work. He gives them himself. He gives us himself. And many of us are slaving at a job or slaving in school, trying to make some money to make us feel blessed or trying to get to a position to make us feel blessed. But God wants you to know that in Christ Jesus, right now, you can experience ultimate blessing as a gift. So if you don't know the blessing of God, you can know it right now. Let me say it another way. If you don't feel the blessing of God, you, can, you don't have to leave here today without feeling the blessing of God. 
And that's going to be huge for us today, and I'll come back to that. But if you are a Christian, you have received that blessing, and you have been made to be a blessing to that friend, to that parent, to that son, to that daughter that you so desperately want to know about Jesus. The same blessing that you have received, you have been made a distributor to give that blessing to others. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you about five aspects to Jesus's blessing strategy. And here's the really good news. The good news is it's really simple and it's easy to do. In fact, you're probably already doing these things, but just not doing it very intentionally or very consistently. That's the good news. The bad news is it's an acronym. All right. So, which is cheesy. I know. And I really hate doing this, but I want, here's what I want. Here's our hope. Our hope is that this isn't just like a Kleenex, use it today, it's gone tomorrow. Like this is something that's substantial, that this is something that stays with us, not just to next week, but really the next year and the years to come. And I think we'll come back to it. Let me show you what it is. Bless. Here we go. Begin with prayer. Listen. Now I know this one, I kind of had a shoehorn in there. I didn't realize that. But it's begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, story. Begin with prayer, listen, eat. Serve story. And so that's what it is. And there's a, there's, there's a progression to it, which means that I, I do think that, and, and I think the order is, is somewhat important in terms of how you go about seeing other people bless, but there are all ways that we can bless either way. So we're going to start with begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. How, how do we pray? There's three things that I think we should pray for when we begin with prayer. Number one, we pray for guidance. Check out what Jesus says in John 5. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. If this is true for Jesus, it's got to be true for us. That we have to live lives that we only do what we hear the father doing. If Jesus can't go rogue, we shouldn't go rogue. Here's a quote for you. I know you're going to be impressed. We never want to talk to somebody about God until we talk to God about somebody. Never want to talk to somebody about God until we talk to God about somebody. somebody. And that's what evangelism is. Evangelism is, is hearing God and then doing what he says. Hey, you should go talk to that person, bless that person, serve that person. So pray for guides. Number two, pray for help. Matthew 9, check out Jesus says. He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, so, so you look in your neighborhood, you look in your city, you look in this world, and you just see a sea of need. And unless you disconnect your heart from it, it's going to weigh you down. But the laborers are few. That's good news. Therefore, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers to the harvest. So pray for guidance. We need to pray for help. In fact, you may be, you may be new here, and I just want you to know this. I don't want this to freak you out, but you, you might be an answer to prayer. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. This church sees the need in St. Louis, sees a need in all these neighborhoods. And we're like, oh my gosh, the harvest is out there, but they're laborers. And so we regularly pray for more laborers. We're praying and praying, God, will you send laborers? Send laborers. So maybe you're wondering, like, why am I here? And I didn't even know if I wanted to come here as an accident. I meant to go to some other church, but I got confused. <laughs> Stupid phone. And so we, I'm going to tell you why you're here. You may be an answer to prayer. Pray for help. Pray for power. There was a time where the disciples tried to cast out a demon, but they couldn't. So Jesus comes along and says, step aside, boys. Let me do this one. And so he prays for them. They heal and said, they're like, Jesus, what the heck? Like, we did everything that you did. We, we mimicked your words. You know, we, we mimicked your actions, and we couldn't do it. And Jesus said this, Mark 9, 29. And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Here's something that's either going to be frustrating or freeing. 
what God is asking you to do in blessing other people, you cannot do on your own strength. It's like asking a two-year-old to do advanced calculus. It's like asking you to do advanced calculus, to be honest with you. So, I love you, but um, we just can't do it on our own strength. We, no one can change the human heart but God. No one could do that. We're, we're, hey, go, go make disciples of all the world. Make them, you know, tell them about me and they'll follow me. Well, how you, we, you can't do that. Now, that, that. That may be frustrating, but let me tell you why it's freeing. Because your job isn't to convert people. In fact, I have found that to be counterproductive. Your job isn't to go tell them how. Your, your job is to communicate the, the love of Jesus. Your job is to tell them about who he is and what he's done in your life. And we're going to explain that more as we go through. But you pray, say, God, will you send, send guidance, send help, send power. Secondly, listen. Check out what the half-brother Jesus James said about listening. This is totally opposite, unfortunately, uh, for a lot of Christians. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. You have two ears, one mouth. I need this first tattooed on my brain. I'm great at, or not great, I'm okay at monologue, I'm terrible at dialogue. And this is why this acronym is helpful. So like, truth be told, me and a few other guys test run this blessed thing a few, a few months back. And I remember I was going to the mailbox about a month or so ago, and my eye accidentally connected with the chatty neighbor guy. And I was like, oh. Bless. Begin with prayer. Listen. Mm. Listen. And I said, this is really going to mess with my type A schedule. So, but I went to him. I said, okay, I'm going to, this blessing, this is why it's helpful. Because sometimes you have to speak truth to yourself. We don't always feel truth. We don't just naturally, we don't drift into truth. We have, sometimes we have to speak truth to ourselves. So I said, okay, no way. I'm, I'm going to go bless. And here's the other thing I did. I said, okay, I'm, I'm not going to cut off the conversation until he does. And let me tell you, I used to be a stockbroker. I used to have about 100, 150 conversations a day. So I got really good at cutting conversations early. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to cut off the conversation early. I'm just going to, he's going to have to cut it off. I was there a while, let me tell you. And so he was, he talked and he was, it was great. You know, it was, it was great in the sense that, man, he, I mean, actually he opened up quite a bit. And he, he went on and talked about, he's an older gentleman, and he went on and talked about some of the hurts he had in his life, some of the regrets. I mean, really deep stuff, actually. And I, mean, I went back and I wrote these things down in my journal because these are things I've been praying for this, this gentleman about. But here's what I walked away thinking. Here's what I walked away thinking. So I'm 41. This is a month ago. I'm thinking, how many people, how many people have I either shut down the conversation or walked away entirely when they really just needed somebody to listen to them. How many opportunities? How easy would it have been for me to listen to where they're at? Bless, we can bless people by listening to them. This is what Jesus said in Luke 18. Luke 18. So this guy says, Oh, son of David. So Jesus is walking by with his entourage and he yells out, Hey, son of David. You know, come here. And the disciples are like, you know, be quiet. He's got things to do. And Jesus comes to him and says, hey, what do you want me to do for you? Let me tell you something. When you are the creator of the universe, when you know the beginning from the end, when you know what's going to happen before it happens, how many here think that Jesus actually needed to ask him what he wanted him to do? 
Why did he do it? Could it be to demonstrate to his disciples and to us that the way you hear, that the way that you heal people is you hear people? So you got to be okay with interruptions. Jesus was okay with interruptions and 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 being the savior of the universe makes you a pretty I mean I know that you're an important person, but being the savior of the universe is pretty important too. And so Jesus, here's the thing. I don't know if you know the timeline. Can we go back to the verse? This is Luke 18. Jesus has Zacchaeus left, and then he goes, he has the last week of his life. He's got like two or three weeks left. What would you do if you had two or three weeks to live? How important is your time? For many of us, we've got two or three weeks left of the summer, and we've got to go for, out for the weekend. We've got to go vacation quickly for the summer ends. If you don't believe me, I'll show the attendance. And so we... This is Jesus. His life is about to end. And he's totally okay with interruptions. If you want to be a good listener and bless people, you have to be okay with interruptions. Thirdly, eat. Yes. Could be, how about exercise? Should we talk about that? Should we make it exercise or eat? Okay, we'll do it with eat. Matthew eleven nineteen is interesting because this is what it says about Jesus. When they were thinking, when, when, they, were, when they were saying, what did Jesus come doing? It said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. That's pretty interesting. What, when Jesus came on the scene, what did he do? Was it miracles? Was it teaching? He came eating and drinking. There was one commentator who followed the activity of Jesus through the book of Luke. And this is what he pointed out. He says, Jesus in every situation was either heading to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. Here's one of those meals, Matthew 9, I believe. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house, and behold, here's a convicting one, many, that's a convicting word, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. One of the things a uh, guy, a pastor down in Atlanta, Andy Stanley, says that people who weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. He's always having them around. And when the Pharisees saw this, they did, were not happy. They said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he had heard it, they didn't think Jesus heard it, but he heard it. He always hears everything. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. It's fascinating that like the primary blessing strategy, one of the primary ways that Jesus blessed people is he ate meals with them. Now, this is really helpful to us because it doesn't mean that you have to have, be smart or have all the answers. You don't have to have your arguments in a row. And like I said, I think most of the time, actually, that's kind of counterproductive. But you can relate to people over a meal. Here's the good news. You have 21 opportunities a week to do that. You know that 67% of people eat at least one meal a week at their desk by themselves at work. Three reasons why I think eating is a great evangelism strategy. Number one, conversion primarily happens through relationship. You see this in the Bible, Ruth and Naomi. Um, Naomi, Ruth says, just out of the relationship with Naomi, she became, she's like, I want, I don't know who your God is, but I want, I want your God to be my God. Just happened out of relationship. Happened out of relationship. 
Last week we talked about how we're made in God's image and God himself is community. God himself is friendship. God the Trinity. God, one God, three persons. We are made in his image, which means that we are primar- we're, we're not primarily rational beings. We're primarily relational beings. So when we, when, we, we don't, when we get advice, we don't go to the people who, have, who know the most facts. We go to the people who know the most about us. So we don't go to the experts for financial advice. We go to Uncle Tom. Why? Because he knows the most? No, because he knows us. That's how we relate. That's one thing. Food. Secondly, food is a powerful communicator of who matters. In junior high and high school, how did you know who was cool and who wasn't? Well, if you were cool, you didn't sit at my table, that's for sure. I was in junior, I remember the junior in high school, it was a new high school for me, and there was like the cool table, and then there was the Brian Mowry table. I was just like, all there by, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Hurts, I tell you, it hurts. Um... In the 1950s, here's, this, is, this is a little more serious, 1950s, 1960s, where was racism the most visible? Restaurants, whites only. Drinking fountains, whites only. Your closest friends are the ones at your dinner table. Far more true in the Bible. In the Roman Empire, first century Rome, this is where Jesus, this is the, this is the, context that Jesus existed with walk the earth Roman empire meals were incredibly strat- stratified and what I mean by that is that um, whoever was closest to the host was like the closest to that was sat right next to him so if whoever is close so if I was the host to be like best friend second best friend third best friend fourth best friend and if you weren't invited you did not matter to me that's how it worked I mean gee, have you ever picked up on the idea that Jesus told an entire parable about where to sit at a mealtime? Did you know that? It's in there. Check me out. So when you choose who's coming to the meal, here's what you're, here's what you're committing. You're saying this person matters. This person matters. Now, but Jesus is not only in a Roman Empire, he's also Jewish. And who here could guess what a third of the Jewish laws were about. Eating. Dietary restrictions. People who eat this food are in with God. People who don't eat this food aren't in with God. So when Jesus is having a meal with people, he's communicating two very important things. Who matters to God and who's in with God? He's doing serious, serious theology. Now, here's the cool thing about Jesus. Jesus would have a meal with anyone. He had him with the Pharisees. He had him with anyone. But there's only one type of person that he invited to a meal. Why are all these sinners and tax collectors around you? Because they matter to God. And they are the ones that God wants to save. And every time you invite someone over, you are communicating to them that they matter to God. And God has a heart to save them. Here's a third reason to get past people's negative stereotypes of Christians. How many here know that, that non-Christians have a negative view of Christians? Did you know that? Did you know that? Jesus devoted a lot of his teaching ministry to make sure 
people understood that he was different than religious teachers. So the Sermon on the Mount, he would say, the Pharisees say this, but I say this. The Pharisees say this, but I say this. The Pharisees do this, but I do this. In fact, he would tell parables. He would tell a parable, okay, there's a Pharisee and a tax collector, and these are the two ways of acting. Which one do you think is better? He was, he was communicating loud and clear, I am nothing like them, because people had very, very, they had these negative stereotypes about religious people. One of the things that Jesus did in having a meal with them was he was forcing them to deal with the real Jesus and not their stereotypes. Here, here's a, here, this, this is just to encourage you, not really, but um, here's what non-Christians, I think, generally think about Christians. They are angry and judgmental. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. Number two, anti-intellectual, incredibly culturally unaware. This is when I, anyway. Third, disingenuous and emotionally fake. This is like the Ned Flanders, you know, God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Like, we're just going to skip over pain and suffering and we're just going to keep it smiley. Number four, hypocritical and morally selective. Christians will say things like, you shouldn't cuss, but then ignore enormous issues like racism and international suffering. It's like when Jesus said in Matthew 23, Woe to you Pharisees because you strain out the gnat, but you swallow the camel. Tribal and self-absorbed. Christians only care about what's best for Christians politically and socially. These are hurdles. These are stereotypes. And if you're like, well, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. Let me tell you something. This is how you make sure that people around you don't ascribe that to you is you have a meal with them. And if you have a meal with them, you will force them to deal with the real Jesus and not their negative stereotypes of you and what he's like. By the way, that works in reverse, meaning like if you have a stereotype about someone and you go have a meal with them, that switches too, but that's not what this is about. That's just free. I remember when uh, we had this neighbor back when we lived on Murdoch, uh, here in the city, uh, his, his name was Paul, and he's a great guy, but he was like the classic, like, antagonistic toward Christians, atheist guy, and then here comes this nice little sweet family with a pastor, you know, moves in next to his house, and and we did, the conversations were, for about a year, were like really brisk, and they weren't going anywhere, you could tell that he wasn't super excited about, you know, a pastor being his neighbor, and so, um, but there was an there was an opportunity to, that came up that we, we were able to um, someone a friend of his had cancer, and he was like for you know he, we he was in a position where he needed our help and so we helped him and we did we took meals over and and then and then he came over for meals and, and we actually got to know each other and you know by golly we laughed and and there was one time where he said to me he's like Brian I know Christians and you're not one of them. Now, I took that as a compliment, <laughs> knowing what he thought about Christians. But here's what, this is what I'm saying. Us, us having a meal with him forced him to deal with his negative stereotypes. It forced him to deal with the real Jesus. Okay, the last two, I'll go a little quicker. Serve. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, I have come not to be served, but to serve. And one of the things as you follow the Gospels, you'll know that, that, that the deeds of the kingdom follow the message of the kingdom. In other words, 
Actually, the, I'd say it this way. The signs of the kingdom followed the message of the kingdom. They actually went together. So Jesus would come on the scene and talk about a day. There's going to be a day where there's no death, no disease, no tear, you know, you know no, no blindness. None of that. People are like, yeah, whatever. And then he calls a man out of his grave. And then they're like, maybe there's something to this message. And then he lays his hand on a blind man. And he recovers his sight. And they're thinking, maybe there's something to his message. And all these deeds, miracles that Jesus would do. Actually, if you read the Gospels, you know if you read the Gospels, there's a word that you're not going to find. And that word is miracle. Not once in the Gospels is the word miracle used. They're always referred to as signs. Because they point to something. They point to what his kingdom is like. And as we go out, not just with our words, but we go out with deeds and we serve. We come alongside and we make a difference. They are signs that point to what God's kingdom is like. And as you read the early church history, I mean, they're just full of that. I mean, the, the, the early, in the, if you read about first century Rome, um, it was a, it was, so men were considered far superior than women. So much so that the male-female ratio in the Roman Empire was about 140 to 1. Because when little girls were born, they were just thrown in the trash. And the Christians came along and said, not so in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, there's neither male nor female. Give us all of your girl babies and we'll adopt them in and we'll take care of them. And they valued them and they say, this is what God's kingdom is like. And then in that society, as you can imagine, that um, a a man uh, could have as many affairs as he wants, but a woman legally had to be faithful to her husband. And they said, not so in God's kingdom. One man, one woman together. A man is going to lay down his life for his wife. And they pointed to God's kingdom. Coming alongside, serving, declaring a message, and then having the deeds to confirm that message. Story. There is a point where we need to boldly and humbly tell other people what Jesus has done for us. There's this pithy little statement that I've said that I'm going to stop saying. And this is what it is. It says, share the gospel, and if you have to, talk. And the reason why people say that is because, you know, Christians are, um, they, they probably do talk too much, and they don't serve and listen enough. But at the end of the day, the gospel is a message. It's good news. It needs to be communicated verbally. It's like me asking you, give me your phone number, but don't use digits. You're like, What? This is what Peter says. Peter says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as always, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks the reason for the hope that is in you. So what happens is as you listen to people and as you, as you share meals with them and they break down your, you break down their stereotypes and you begin to lovingly serve them, there's going to be a point and they're going to say, What gives? Why are you this way? What is the hope? Oh, you want to know about Jesus? This is what Jesus has done in my life. I was this way, and now I'm this way. I used to be for me, but now I, I want to lay my down, life down in love and service for others. And this is so simple. This isn't for the superstars. This is for everyone. So much so, I think Jesus would, that as you read through the scriptures and you really take in these stories, you'll find that Jesus used the most ordinary people in the most extraordinary ways. One, I mean, there's millions of examples. One example, because I know we're running out of time. John 4. 
Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Let me tell you about this woman. She met Jesus at the well at noon. And, let me, and the reason why she went to the well at noon is because she did not want to be seen. Nobody went to the well at noon because it was the hottest part of the day. It's kind of like, I'm gonna, it's middle of July and I'm going to mow my grass at noon. It's just like you just don't do that. So she knew that she went at noon, that she would be there by herself. And G, but Jesus knew that too. And he went and met her there. Actually, it says that he was really tired, but he did it anyway. And um, he went and he talked to her and he, and he loved her and he communicated that she was accepted in his kingdom. And then she went and told everyone and everyone in that town believed. Here's, God can use anyone. He's not looking for the athlete or the superstar he could, if, she, if he could use this woman, he could use anyone. Um, and secondly, um, God, uh, that he, God can, do, can do this in, in extraordinary ways, and he wants to, he wants to use us uh, to bless others. And she didn't have to go to some, like, five-year apologetics course. I mean, she, she, Jesus, it's just like you becoming Christian today, and then you go and telling your, your whole neighborhood today. She didn't know. All she, all she had, she was the apologetic. I was blind, but now I see. I, w- I was lame, but now I walk. I was lost, and now I'm found. She had her story, and, that's, and then we have the same story too. How can we apply this? Well, number one, I think you have to know. To be a blessing to others, you have to know that you've been blessed. If you're not living in the reality that you are a blessed man or woman, it'll be different. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Like if I, when I drive through wealthier neighborhoods, I don't think about what I have, I think about what I don't have and I get grumpy. When I drive through poor neighborhoods, I think about what I have and I feel grateful. Most of the time I think we, we, paw, we, we're, we find it challenging to be a blessing to others because we're not really living in the good that we've been blessed. It's really important. In fact, if if you don't know the blessing of God, I, I, would, I, don't, I don't want you to leave here today without not just knowing in your head, but really feeling that you've been blessed. God, God wants you to know that you've been blessed. Secondly, you need to position yourself to bless others, which means you need to put a little margin in there. and put, put it, For me, I'm very scheduled, so like a journal really helps. And just like, okay, I'm going to do this. is what I'm going to do today. This is what I'm going to do today. I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Speak to myself. This is truth. This is better. I, I am, I've been blessed. I want to share that blessing with other people.